Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. You guys can be seated. Man, that was so good. Can we thank Gary and these guys for leading us? You know, sometimes like uh, in worship, it's, it's, you come before the Lord and it's, we're singing these songs that, that, that are true about Jesus, right? We're worshiping him in spirit and truth. And, and it's, our, it's our offering to him. It's the way that we come before him and we are ministering and we are loving, we are loving him. It's the way that we love him. And I'm amazed that there's times that as, as we are pouring out our love and we're singing these words, that, that it's for us in a lot of ways. And isn't that how good God is? That, that we come before him to worship and then the songs that we sing or the words of the song and speak to our hearts and where we are. And that was it for me this morning. I, I just thank those guys for leading us. And, and I've been, this past week has just been a struggle for me. I, I, I think I mentioned last week, but my wife is out of town. She went, uh, she went and flew to her sister's house her sister's husband's a, he's a, a pilot in the Navy, and so she's got a baby, and they're moving in, and so she went to help her sister move in. So I'm all alone this week, and if you know about me, I can do alone really good for about six hours, and that is my max. I'm an extroverted person. I need to be around people, and so this week, and anytime she leaves, it's always that way. I feel that way, so I anticipate, but man, this week has just been hard, and so being able to sing the words of those songs uh, and the the spirit of running into his arms. Man, how true is that? And I love, we did that Tasha Cobb song about this is a move. And that line, it just speaks to me and simplicity and truth is like, Lord, just do what you do. Like we don't even understand, we don't even get it, God, but just do what you do. And I love that. So thank y'all for, um, for leading us in that. That was incredible this morning. So uh, first, first and foremost, welcome this morning. It is an honor and privilege for you guys to be here. So thank you for taking time out of your Sunday morning to come and gather in the name of Jesus Christ with us. And that's incredible. We have been, um, we, are, we are in week two of a series called Come and See the Gospel of John. And so I want to give you a couple of things up front that are going to feel like advertisements. Uh, and they're not advertisements, but just to give you a little bit of vision of what this fall looks like, what this series looks like for us. So for the next uh, 10 weeks now, it's been an 11-week series, we're going, to be, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. We're going to go from front to back. And obviously, if you've ever read the Gospel of John, it's impossible to teach and to read through all of that in 11 weeks. So we're going to be, we're going to be leaping through. And so really where we landed on this, this idea and the spirit of come and see. And this is a, this is a, a language that's spoken multiple times in, in John chapter 1. When Jesus calls the disciples, and they say, Rabbi, what you're doing, what, what are you? And he says, he invites them. He extends an invitation to come and see. And then again in chapter 1, when, when Philip when they realize, when Philip realizes that they found the Messiah, the Christ, the one that they've been hoping for, he goes to Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, you know, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus from Nazareth. And, and Nathaniel's answer is like, Nazareth, what good can come from Nazareth? And he says, come and see. And there's this invitation. And so our, really our focus and what we're going to be doing over the next uh, 10 weeks, and it's going to go 
from last Sunday all the way through uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving is we're going to be looking at, with the spirit of that invitation, people's interaction with Jesus Christ during that time. Uh, this, this, like I said, my wife is out. And so this past week, uh, I've been playing Mr. Mom. And that's been good. It's been really fun. The kids have been great and super sweet. And they're a lot easier now than where they were uh, like two or three years ago. And they're all, they can all use the restroom themselves. They're, they're capable. And, and the oldest, she's nine. My oldest, my daughter's nine. And so she's like my little helper and she can help. And she's so motherly to her two little brothers. And our youngest is four. And so I've been getting them up and getting them off school and picking them up. And so this past week, um, we, I, was, I was at home in the morning and it was before our youngest goes to preschool. He goes to preschool at nine. We get the others out the door at 7.30. And so we're just at the house and I'm, I'm, I'm doing stuff. And I tell him to go upstairs and grab his shoes. So he goes upstairs in our house and he gets scared. He has this moment where he's scared. I mean, it's like daylight. It's like, you know, 8.30 in the morning, nine o'clock. So he goes upstairs to get his shoes and he like screams. I'm like, buddy, what's going on? What's going on? He goes, you know, he says, I'm scared. Because he's walking past, like, we have a little, you know, a guest bedroom and a little game room. And he was scared to walk by those. He's like, Daddy, I'm scared. There's a monster in there. He's like, there's a monster. I'm like, buddy, there's, you're okay. There's no monster in there. He's like, there is right behind the door, right behind the bed in our guest bedroom. And so he's like, come see, right? Come look. And so I was like, okay. So I walked upstairs, and I walked around the other side of the bed, and I looked. I'm like, no. You know, he's like, and he's standing at the door, like, watching through. I'm like, come see, buddy. Come and look. There's no, he walks over there. He's like, oh. He's like, what about under the bed? And now he's all brave and he like pops down on the ground. He's like, no, not under there either. And so it's funny. I thought about that in that moment that we shared this, this week about this idea of like inviting someone to come and see what that looks like. And that is really the heart and the spirit of this fall. We want people, I don't know where you are in your life. And that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of the Lord is that I don't know where you are, but the Lord does. He knows what you've struggled with. He knows where you've, what you've been through. He knows the path that you've walked up into this point. And so really the spirit of this is to have an invitation to come and see. So we're going to be teaching through John. And on top of that, we have a, we have a devotional series uh, cleverly titled John. And it is a, it's an 11-week study, and it's written by Tom Fulmer. Uh, he's a, uh, one of the pastors at ACF that we are part of out at Northwest. And it's an incredible um, devotional that walks you through the book of John. And so we have these available this morning. It reads, it's, it's, it's a book, but it reads much more like a journal. It, it, it has you in Scripture and asks questions, and it's really prompting you to investigate scripture for yourself, to read through, to write reflections. And like I told my small group with this week, there's going to be things that you read and you're like, yeah, I don't know what that means or that doesn't really speak to me. Just skip that question. There's no rules and regulations on this thing, but it's a, it's a daily devotional and we have them out in the lobby. So I'd love for you to take one this morning. If you want to pay for it, it's $9. It's, it's technically $8.99 is where the total cost for these. So if you want your penny back, uh, you can have it. But if you just put $9 in our grace gift boxes, or if you tithe and give to the church, just, you know, however many dollars a month, just add $9 to that and take a copy of this. And not only that, not only do we have these daily devotionals, but we also, our small groups are going through this. And so, uh, Mike, would you put up the little slide for our groups? And like I said, this feels like an advertisement. If you're not plugged into a small group, uh, that is really where, um, how we do discipleship here at The Vessel. It's coming there. Nope, not that one. Keep going, Mike. There's one that says groups. There it is. 
Thank you, Mike. So you can go to this web address, vessel.church slash group, uh, and you can fill out a form to get into a small group. And those are just kicking off and it's not too late. And we're going to be talking through the book of John. The idea in the spirit is, is that by the end, by the time we hit Thanksgiving, every one of us in our church and our small groups will have walked through the gospel of John in a really powerful way. So that's my push for that. So uh, this morning we're going to be in John chapter three, but before we jump in, I'm going to pray and just ask the Lord to speak to us. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this morning, God. I thank you, God, that we are able to come before you in spirit and in truth and worship you as the one true God. Lord, as our Savior, as our Counselor, as our Father. Lord, as the one who knows us, the one who made us. God, that knows every mistake that we made, knows the intricacies of, of, of how we're created. God, you know the journey we've walked. You know the struggles that we're in right now. Uh, You know the pain and the insecurities and the sin that we struggle with, Jesus. Yet we still come before you and we gather in your name. And as your word promises us, you are in our midst. And so we just thank you and thank you for that this morning and pray for that. God, I I just ask that as we look at John chapter 3 and this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, Lord, that you would speak through your word. God, like the Gary prayed this morning, God, that your word would go out and would not return to you void. God, that it would water our hearts. God, and wherever that is, whether that feels like it's rock hard or broken, God, that your word would just land there. God, would you speak through me um, and use your word to speak to our hearts. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning, uh, and if you have your Bible on your phone or you've brought it with you this morning, I would love for you to open up and read along with us. And if you need a Bible, we have some over here on our guest services table. If you raise your hand, um, our guest services team will bring that to you. We have one right here in the front. Uh, and so I'd love for you to read along. So, so John chapter 3, I'll give you a little bit of context of where it is as you are looking that up or pulling it up on your phone. It's in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels, and the Gospel is, is an account of, of the life of Jesus Christ according and through John, uh, the Apostle John. And so we talked last week a lot about some of the details in that. And so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go on our website and listen to that. But there, it's really interesting how the four Gospels that John is different from the other three and, and, and kind of the reasons why it's different and when it was written. The other three Gospels were written right on the heels of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, whereas John wrote his Gospel account uh, at towards the end of his life, after many years, after the birth of the church, and, and it's been written in light of the other three. And so it's really interesting. So there's a lot of differences that you're going to see here um, with the other scriptures. So I encourage you to go back uh, and read through that. And so I, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read through this quickly. And again, that the heart of it and what we're going to be looking at over the next 10 weeks is we're going to be looking at Jesus's interaction with people right? That sometimes it's an individual, sometimes it's a group of people, but it's how Jesus interacts uh, with people and with this, this idea of people coming to see. And that is really prevalent and true here with Nicodemus. And so we're going to read through that and I'll, we'll talk about it this morning. So uh, John chapter three, verse one, it says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with them. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
how can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Jesus, as Moses, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And, and, and that last line, John 3.16, it is, it is without a doubt the most famous piece of scripture of all time. It's, it's, a, it's a sentence that may be the most famous sentence of all time, and it comes from this interaction that Jesus has with Nicodemus, and that's where it comes from, and it's something that we all know. And, and so um, as we begin this, there's, before we jump in and we look at Nicodemus, and I want to commend Nicodemus a lot, and if you've ever read through commentary or heard people uh, preach on Nicodemus. He can get some flack a lot. He's a Pharisee. He's got all the answers, but, but I think that's being a little hard on him. And so really, I want you to look this morning and think about the context of your own life and look at how Nicodemus and the admirable ways that he comes before the Lord. But before we get into that, there's some really important context that's given right here at the beginning. Um, the, the, the first and foremost, a lot of times you read scripture like this and, and you read it with the thought and the, the idea that Jesus is speaking to the multitudes, right? That he's preaching to thousands of people or he's on the cross saying these words. And that's a lot how we picture Jesus. But that's not the case. The scripture tells us that this is an intimate, personal conversation between two people. This is a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus alone. And so um, that this, this tells us a lot about this conversation. First of all, who is Nicodemus? It's the first time he's introduced in scripture. The other gospels don't, don't speak, uh, talk a lot about Nicodemus. And so he's introduced here. And in, in, in verse one, it tells us a lot of information about who he is. It says, uh, says that now there's a Pharisee. So first and foremost, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And so what a Pharisee is, is he is a religious leader and not just a religious leader in the sense of like, he's a leader in the church. He is of the religious elite. He is the leaders of the leaders. I was, I was reading some statistics that say that at this time, there, were, there was an estimated nearly 40,000 rabbis, Jewish rabbis during this time. And so the Pharisees, they think that, that in, with, with the Pharisees in the area and in Jerusalem, that there were 6,000 Pharisees. And so these, of these rabbis, these are the, the top guys. These are the guys that are on the top. You, I mean, we're talking um, big pastors and big important people in the Catholic Church or the Pope or whatever you want to look. And Nicodemus is the guy. He is the religious leader of the time. It goes on, it says, um, 
It says, now there's a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So not only was he Pharisee, but Nicodemus was a ruler in a lot of ways. He had authority and a power within the church. And so, so here is what this, this man that comes and looks. And so you see all these interactions with Jesus um, through, throughout Scripture, and there's, there's a lot of diversity in the people he's talking to. And so in this story and in, the, in, the, in this uh, testimony, it's his conversation with this religious leader. And then it says in verse 2, he came to Jesus at night. And this is a really important part of the story. And so this is a, this is a meeting that happens at night. And a lot of times this is suggested that it's a secret meeting, that why would Nicodemus come and meet with Jesus at night? And so a lot of suggestions is that, that this is a secret meeting, that Nicodemus doesn't want to be seen with Jesus that he wants to come in the shadows of the night so that people don't know that he's coming to this carpenter to meet with him and to ask him questions, which I think there, there's, there's some truth to that. But I want you to think about a, a meeting at night in general. It's that there's other implications there. First and foremost, this is an intimate meeting, right? It's not an official, like, you know, I'm a pastor and I meet with people and, and I take meetings during the day, right? If you have a job or a business and, and you go to work, you meet with people during the day. How often is it that you meet with someone from your business at night, right? That's not, that's not as uh, common. The other thing is that I, I believe that this is the beginning of a relationship, and you think about inviting, it doesn't tell us that it's in, the, it's in Jesus' home. We don't know if they're, it's there out by the light of the moon or by candlelight. We just know that these two people are meeting at night. And so you think about who is it that you, if you ever have a meeting at night or you go meet with someone, it's someone that you have relationship with. It's, it's more intimate. It's someone that you're likely to introduce by your first name. I'm Jake. As opposed to like I, was a, I used to be a teacher and a coach. And like I would meet with students during the day and I was Coach Toman, Mr. Toman in the classroom, right? That's very official. But an evening meeting, it's someone that you have an intimate relationship. You know them by first name. And so I, and, and there's suggestion, and there's not suggestion, but I believe that this was the beginning of a significant relationship between Jesus and Nicodemus. That throughout the Gospel of John, you're going to see Nicodemus pop up again and again. Even though he's this ruling leader, even though he's this man with all this authority and power, you see this, this relationship boil up in certain instances. And one of the most beautiful is at the very end of the, the Gospel of John, after Jesus' crucifixion, the person that takes Jesus' body off the cross and prepares it is Nicodemus. It's Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus. John 19, verse 39 says, he, being Joseph of Arimathea, uh, was accompanied by Nicodemus, a man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, the scripture we're talking about. Nicodemus brought with him a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. So you get this sense that this moment, this first meeting between Nick, Jesus and Nicodemus was, this, was the beginning of this really intimate relationship that they had. And to the point that Nicodemus is the one that's taking his body off the cross. I love that beautiful image. It's like a modern-day pallbearer. If you've ever lost someone, uh, unless you, you work at a moor, you likely haven't prepared their body for burial, right? But it's like, it's like the idea of being a pallbearer. That if someone passes away, who is it that you get to carry that casket, to bring it to the grave, to lay it into the ground? 
is that's who Nicodemus was. It wasn't his disciples. And so I just want you to get a sense that of, of the significance of this meeting and how it's this intimate. It's at night. It's these two people. And they had this really sweet interaction. And so um, with, with that said, um, there's, there's a few things I think that we can learn from Nicodemus here. In the spirit of come and see, and I don't know where, I don't know if for you that's a first time that you've never taken a moment to investigate Jesus Christ, or I don't know if you have a deep, significant relationship with Jesus where the Lord is bringing you into, a, you know, to, to knowing him better. But the, I think we have something to learn from Nicodemus. The first is this, is that Nicodemus recognized something in Jesus, that he recognized something in Jesus. In verse um, 2 there, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a leader, uh, you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with them. And so you, with, with the, the light of the, the Nicodemus coming to Jesus, there's a deep contrast between these two people. Is that here we have Nicodemus. Nicodemus is educated. He's wealthy. A lot there, there's, there's, and if you look at history books and studies, there's a couple suggestions of who the Nicodemus of this story is, because there's a couple of Nicodemus at the time. One of them was a religious leader who was the third wealthiest person in the entire area. So he, he, Nicodemus is educated. He's wealthy, right? He has authority. It says he's a ruler. He, he has the power to make a decision. He is your typical white-collar uh, person. And, and, and then you look at that, and you take this person that has all these things, and they, they, he's, he walks in, and there's a seat. When he comes into the temple, there's a seat for Nicodemus right up front. He's got a long robe, right? He's, he's treated with honor and respect, and then you look at the other side of this conversation, you have Jesus, who's uneducated, not ignorant. It does not mean he's ignorant, but he didn't have the formal education that Nicodemus did. There's a lot of suggestions in Scripture and, and that through, through scholars think that Jesus could potentially and probably read and write. So it wasn't that he was completely uneducated, but not to the level of Nicodemus, right? That, that Jesus was a carpenter. This is a blue-collar job. We, we, scripture shows that he learned that from his father. And you think about more of a blue-collar job, someone that, that you know, they, they're a truck driver. And my dad before me is a truck driver. My son after me is, is going to be a truck driver. And I know it's funny to think about Jesus driving a, a, an 18-wheeler, but it's that same idea of, the, of this blue-collar job. My family owned a hardware store in Orange, Texas, uh, for three generations. My great-grandfather is called Orange Supply Company. I carry an orange backpack around with me everywhere. It's sitting in the back, and I have an orange supply company patch on my backpack. So my great-grandfather opened it. My grandfather owned it, and then my dad. And, and about when I was in middle school, uh, the business closed down because Walmart moved to town. So uh, I hate Walmart. So anyways, but the idea of being that, that you know, that's that, that idea of like, it's this, this, this family thing that's being passed down. And that's been my family is that my great grandfather was a woodworker. My grandfather's a woodworker. My dad is a woodworker and I am not. And that's funny, but I didn't, I, I'm not, I don't own a hardware store in Orange, Texas in Southeast Texas. And the same is here about Jesus. That's who Jesus is. He's blue collar. And so there's this deep contrast, but Nicodemus recognizes something in Jesus he is of the religious elite. He has all the answers. He knows all the scripture. He knows the prophecies of the Old Testament. Yet he looks at the life of Jesus Christ. And he said, there's something different. 
that this isn't what I know, this isn't what I've studied, this, this, this doesn't look like what I have expected or anticipated. And I want you to think about that this is early in Jesus' ministry, that, that just in chapter 2, if you, if you read back, it's, it's the first time that Jesus changes his first miracle where he changes water to wine. And then right after that, he goes into the temple courts in the church, and they're, they're selling animals, and they're exchanging money, and Jesus fashions this whip. I mean, it's so awesome. Jesus fashions this whip. He overturns the table, and he drives them out with this whip. And so you see that such a stark contrast to this religious leader. So Jesus' first, first miracle that he performed, was it in a church? No. Is that a party, right? And you think about Nicodemus and what a deep contrast that was to him, that he, here he performs this miracle at a party for his friends and for his mother who asked him to do it. And then Jesus' first time in the temple courts, does he have a seat? No, he's making a whip and driving people out. So you get, to, you get the sense of why the Pharisees hated Jesus so much. But Nicodemus recognizes something in him. And you see, Nicodemus gets it in a lot of ways where others missed it. If you re- continue to read through, and as we walk through John, you're going to see how in a lot of ways the Pharisees just missed it on Jesus. They knew the scripture. They knew the testimonies and the prophecy of the coming Messiah. But what they thought in their mind, Jesus didn't fit that bill. And so I love this interaction that immediately Nicodemus says, I know that, he says, we recognize that there's something different about you, right? We, we, we get it and we recognize. We don't know what it is. Tell me what it is. And Jesus immediately gets to the point. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't waste time. He immediately responds by saying, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Jesus gets right to the point. And what he does, he begins to push, immediately push on a stronghold of Nicodemus, that he pushes on this stronghold. You see the Jewish people, even Jewish people that, that, that are Jewish people today, that their lineage, the family that they're born into is everything. It, it's what makes them Jewish. It, it's what punches their ticket to heaven. It's what qualifies them as of the elect. And immediately, Jesus immediately goes and gets, begins to push against that. He says, no, you've got to be born again. And I love how Jesus does that. He, he takes a step further. He doesn't just say for you to get into the kingdom. He says, if you're not born again, you can't even see the kingdom. In verse, in verse 3, he says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. He's like, don't think you're... Let's not talk about you getting in or not. You can't even see it. You don't even get to lay your eyes on the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And it pushes on everything that Nicodemus knew and that was important to Nicodemus. He pushes on the stronghold. So I ask you this question, as you put yourself in that, that place, what is the stronghold for you in your life? Like, what is it that God is pushing up against you about? For me and for my life, it was my reputation. It was my pride and my reputation. When I began to come and see Jesus Christ and explore Jesus for myself, the Lord immediately started to push on my reputation. Everything that was important to me, who I was, why I was important, why I mattered in this world, Jesus immediately began to push on it. And the truth was, is he gave me freedom in that. And I, I was free in that moment to become nothing and allow the Lord to be everything. Because the truth was, this stronghold that I had in my life 
was breaking down, was breaking down. And Jesus immediately began to push on that. So I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what that stronghold is that God pushes on for you. I don't know if, like me, it's your pride. I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if, like Nicodemus, it's family. I don't know if it's sin. I don't know if it's, it's I'm not good enough. I'm no good. And the Lord immediately starts saying, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. You said, no, I'm not. I'm a sinner, and I'm rotten, and I've done all these terrible things. And, and, and the Lord is immediately pushing that stronghold saying, no. You're beautifully and wonderfully made, and your value is the blood of Jesus Christ. The second thing that Nicodemus does here is he asks the hard question. He asks a hard question. Not only does he recognize there's something different in Jesus, but he asks a hard question. And, and both in verse 4 and verse 9, I love what he says, that when Jesus uh, says this, this foundational shattering thing to him, it's like, it's like Nicodemus' life is a house of cards, and Jesus walks over there, and he pulls out the bottom card, right? He doesn't start from the top, tearing it down. He pulls out the bottom card, and that whole thing's collapsed. And so look at the response of Nicodemus, and this is important, is that he asked the right question. When Jesus talks about being born again, you can see Nicodemus, he says, how? How can someone be born again when they're old? And he says this absurd thing. He's like, surely you can't expect me to climb back into my mother's womb. That's not what you're saying. Like, he says, how? I don't get it. Where our response, and the response of a lot of the other Pharisees is Jesus says, you got to be born again. They say, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? Who do you think you are? What gives you the right? You're just some carpenter. Do you understand that I am the teacher of the law? I am the Pharisee. I am a ruler. No, that, that's a lot of what our response is. And that's a lot of it. But you see that Nicodemus, he asks the right question of how. And then Jesus says that again, he says that you've got to be born again. And that this is a famous saying, this idea of being born again is a famous saying that, that has been popularized and hijacked. And, and if anyone in here, I don't know if there's anyone in here that, was, that became a Christian during the Jesus movement of the 70s and 80s, but this was really popularized during that time is that you got to be a born-again Christian, and it comes from this verse. Um, and, and so this idea of being born again, and, and what Nicodemus is asking, says, he says, how do I get in? How, how do I how does it happen? Jesus says, no one can enter into the kingdom except the one who came from heaven, the son of man, referring to himself. Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. He called himself the son of man above anything else. And that goes all the way back to Daniel chapter seven, a prophecy about the son of man coming to save the world. And, and, and so he, he, says you, he says, you can't get into the kingdom unless you are the son of man. No one gets in. It would be like you going to the queen of England and saying, hey, you know, knock on the door of the palace, say, hey, I want in on this. Like, what you got is a good thing going here. You've got the kingdom, your queen, your royalty. How do I get in on that? Like, that's ridiculous to ask. And what do I do to get in? What do I do? I want to be the next king. Is there an application for that? Where do I sign up? No, that's stupid. Why? Because to be a king, you've got to be born into the family. There's no way for you in. You can't be a king. You can't be royalty. You're not a part of the royal family. Why? Because you weren't born into it. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Nicodemus, look, you're trying your hardest to figure out what do I have to do? 
Because you see, Nicodemus is a religious leader, and what religious leaders tell you, and what religious leaders do is you've got to follow these rules. You've got to do these things. You've got to behave in a certain way. You can't say these words. You can't drink these things. You can't watch these television programs. You've got to do all these things. That's what religion is. Religion is a set of rules to follow. And, he, and that's what Nicodemus is like. How do, I, how do I get in on this? And Jesus is like, you don't get it. You've got to be born into it. You've got to be born into it. And, and we have this attitude a lot in, in Christian culture is that I've got to behave and act in a certain way so that I'm worthy enough. And Jesus breaks that down for Nicodemus right from the beginning. He's like, you can't, there's no, sin is sin. And sin separates you from God. I don't care if you said a small little cuss word or, or, or you, 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 know, you did this terrible, awful, committed this crime. It separates you from God, and there's nothing you can do to get in. And it's, it's like my own children, you know, this week and being with my kids, is that they are my flesh and blood. Is it Sloan, Barrett, and Keller? They share my blood, and there's nothing that's ever going to take that away. And, and, and you, your relationship with your parents, if you're like me, I, I have a lot of brokenness in my relationship with my father. And the Lord has healed a lot of that and restored a lot of that. And he's been so good and gracious. But the truth is, is no matter what happens, it can't change the fact that he is my father and I am his son because our blood says so. And the same is true about our kids. I don't have some misconception that my relationship with my kids is always going to be easy and joyful and fun. I mean, even now it's not, right? They're elementary school kids. It's hard. But the truth is, is that nothing can change because they were born into my family. I didn't go to the nursery, uh, you know, when we brought birth and just look at the things and say, oh, I want this little blonde one right here, right? I don't know, Barrett, my youngest has blonde hair. My wife and I do not, we don't know where he gets, but I want this little blonde one right here. Oh, I want this one. This, I want this big guy right here. He'll be a football player, right? That's not how it works. You don't get to just go and choose. Is that they're born into your family. So Nicodemus asked, how do I do that? How am I in? He says, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born into it. And the third thing that, that we see with this interaction of Jesus and Nicodemus, not only, and this is kudos to Nicodemus, man, this is big. And so I want you to think about this in your own life. Not only does he recognize something different in Jesus, not only does he ask the right questions, but the third and most important thing is that Nicodemus trades his pride for humility. That Nicodemus had every right every justification to come in there with all of his pride, with all of his answers, with all of his scholarly wisdom, his expertise, his authority. But he lays that down when he comes to this meeting with Jesus. Verse 12 says, I, this is Jesus speaking, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And you see, the problem is, is that Nicodemus is trying to understand what Jesus is saying in the context of what he knows. Uh, there, there's a, there's a, a scene, I love the movie Hook. And I, was, I was grew up on, the, on, on Hook. I was talking to Logan Parker this week, who's younger than me, believe it or not. I know we look the same age. He's just I'm like, man, Hook. He's like, never seen it. I'm like, man, you're crazy. So there's this famous scene, I know. 
There's this famous scene in Hook where, you know, here's Peter Pan. He gets to Neverland. I mean, it is a rough go at first. They're beating him up and, you know, making fun of him. And so he's with the lost boys, and they arrive, and, and he's, his kids are taken, and Hook comes through his house, and he travels to Neverland, all this sort of stuff. And he gets there at the end of this, this tumultuous day, and Robin Williams' character, who's, who's, who's Peter Pan, he sits down with the lost boys, and he is starving. He's like, oh, I'm so hungry, all, the, you know, all this thing. And they set a feast out on the table. They bring pots and covered plates, and they have all this food that's out on this table. And he's like, oh, I'm starving. I can't wait. And so they uncover the food, and all the lost boys begin to feast. And there's no food on the plate. The plates are empty. They pull the top off a pot, and steam comes out, and the pot's empty. And Robin Williams' character, Peter Pan, is like, what is what is going on? What do you, where's the real food? Where's the real food? And Tinkerbell, she says, you, you, you don't get it. Like you're trying to understand. He's like, for you to become Peter Pan, you've got to believe. Like, don't you see that the way you're seeing this is through your own eyes and through what you know, but you've got to move beyond that. And he gets in this awesome argument uh, with Rufio, and they're insulting one another. And he gets this spoon, this big spoon. He puts it in one of those empty bowls, and he flicks it at Rufio. And at that moment, man, he's splattered with food on his face. And then he looks, and there's food before him. And it's just this beautiful imagery of this idea is that, like, he had to move beyond himself to believe, to believe who he truly is to remember what he truly is. He had to set down the things that don't fit within the confines of what he understands. And that's Nicodemus. That is Nicodemus. Is that he was able to lay down his pride and take up humility. And Jesus is saying, you don't get it. You're trying to understand things in your earthly context. What I'm trying to show you is their spiritual things. The flesh gives birth to flesh. What you're talking about, climbing back into your mother's room, that's flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. And you've got to be born again. And it's this beautiful imagery. And Nicodemus, there's a tendency that we all fall into that's tempting for him to say, you know what, this doesn't make sense. This, this doesn't fit within the confines of what I understand. And we look at Christianity, and the problem is, is what that, that is we as a society, as a culture, and I don't know where you are, but, if, but if, you, if you feel like, man, I'm not, this isn't me. I don't know Jesus Christ. I'm not saved. This isn't my deal. And you're on the outside looking in, in a lot of ways. What you can, the temptation to do is to be, look at religion. I'm not that. I don't behave that way. I don't have all those rules. And plus, I see all these people that say they're religious, and they're doing the same bad, terrible, judgmental things that I'm doing. So what's better about that? And the problem is, is you're looking at religion and not relationship. And what you're seeing is true, is that Christ far as it doesn't mean that we're without sin. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. It doesn't mean that life is always put together. But it means that we have relationship with Jesus Christ in our spirit, we're born again. So as we close this morning, I'm gonna invite the worship team back up. Um, there are a couple things. Is, uh, as we close this morning, I, I wanna encourage you to do this. First, first and foremost, to recognize something in Jesus. If you've never investigated Jesus Christ for yourself, I wanna implore you to do that. 
And you can take your time. You can do it on your own. You can come to church. You can pick up a book and just take a chance and come and see and take a hard, honest look at Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, is if all of the, that, if, if you talk to anyone, anyone who's a, a theologian or a scholar or a historian, there's no doubt that Jesus Christ was real. There's no doubt that he did the things that he did. And there's zero doubt that he died on the cross. Now, whether he was the son of God, whether he rose three days later, that's for you to figure out. But it's worth you investigating. And if, 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 if you're here and you say, well, that doesn't count because I, that, that's not for me because I am a Christian, it's to continue to, not, to look at Jesus and look and seek for relationship. You know, one of the things that has made my week so hard this week is my wife being away. And I am a sucker and I love being around Shay and I miss her when she is gone. And the truth is, is that the beauty of relationship is it's a bottomless well. Is that there's no bottom and there's no depth of a relationship where it stops. Or the reverse being said, there's, you never arrive in a relationship. And the same is true about Jesus Christ. There's more there. There's knowing him deeper. That's deeper love. And so, so to recognize something new, the second thing is to ask the hard question. That I don't know what you're going through or where you are. Don't be afraid to ask a hard question. I was talking to a friend back home uh, from my hometown that's going through a lot of hard things right now in his life and circumstances, and he's lost a lot of things that he knew, and he's really struggling. He's a Christ follower. And, and in a lot of ways, he's afraid to ask the Lord. He's afraid to go before God and say, God, I'm hurt. I'm angry. I don't understand. Why did these things happen? He's like, oh, that's not, I can't question God. Yes, you can. Yes, you can that there's freedom in that stuff. And so if you're not there, you're struggling with something or whatever it is, to ask the hard question. Be willing to go for the Lord. And the last thing is to trade your pride for humility, to come before the Lord, to humble yourself. And the last the idea is to come and see. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, Vessel dot church.